Hello, hello. Welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Greater Greener Georgia. I'm Alexis. And I'm Miles and we've got the latest on what's going on here in Georgia. So I have to start us off with a little bit of a laugh. Did you see that video of Herschel Walker earlier this week? I did. It was so unbelievable to watch what he said. (laughs) Yeah. And so let me fill you in. For those of you listening who might not know what we're talking about, Herschel Walker is the Republican nominee for his Senate in Georgia this year, and he's running against the incumbent, Raphael Warnock. And at a campaign event last week, Walker was saying some literal nonsense. So let me just read the quote directly of what he said. He was talking about like clean air and clean energy for some context. So he said, we in America have some of the cleanest air and cleanest water in the world. And since we don't control the air, our good air decided to flow over to China's bad air. So when China gets our good air, their bad air got to move. So it moves over to our good airspace. And now we just have to clean that back up, which like... (laughs) What does that even mean? <laughs> I don't know. What is the scientific evidence of that? I mean, I know. Literally, it's so wild. It's just not not how it works at all. No, not at all. And so reasons like this are exactly why League of Conservation Voters has endorsed Warnock to be our senator here in Georgia. Because we just need someone who not only believes in clean air and climate change and science, but wants to take action on it with legislation. Which, speaking of, we need you to make your voice heard to our senators to encourage them to pass the boldest climate action legislation that we can. We have a, a letter that you can sign on to. Check out the link in our Instagram bio and our other social media pages. Everything's going to be on GC Voters and find out where you can add your name and send a letter to your senators. So, in other news of clean air and regulations, um, yeah, many. It's a big one. Yeah, as many of you have probably heard by now, the Supreme Court passed another huge decision uh, two weeks ago now that the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, or EPA, lacks authority to broadly regulate greenhouse gases as pollutants. So this decision sided with a group of Republican attorney generals and coal companies from West Virginia and 18 other states, including Alaska, here in Georgia, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, and Ohio. And, you know, this is just a major blow. Yeah, a lot of states um, to Biden's administration and what they and, you know, us at GCV and a lot of other organizations are fighting for. Um, The suit goes back to 2015 when West Virginia challenged the Obama administration's Clean Power Plan, a rule that established emission guidelines for states to limit carbon dioxide emissions from power plants. So basically setting the groundwork for a clean energy uh, future that Biden is taking over now. Basically, the court ruled that Congress only empowered the EPA to narrowly regulate the emissions of individual power plants. And the EPA could not require a sweeping industry-wide shift from coal and gas power to renewable sources. In a dissent, which I just learned, I never really knew what that means, is just a counter opinion, basically a letter written by Justice Elena Kagan. She said that the court's three liberals said the decision strips the executive branch agency charged with environmental regulations of its power to respond to the most urgent environmental issues the world faces. Executive branch agencies can use broad authorizing language to address significant issues. Justice Kagan goes on to say that the majority's decision rested on the sole claim that the EPA requiring a shift from coal and gas power to renewable energy sources 
was too large of a policy change to be authorized by general language in the law. Biden did have strong words for this decision, saying that the ruling was another devastating decision that aims to take our country backwards, saying that, you know, and he went on to say that he will take action. His administration will continue using lawful executive authority, including the EPA's legally upheld authorities, to keep our air clean, protect public health, and tackle the climate crisis. A big impact of this decision is Biden's clean energy timeline of reaching a zero-carbon electricity sector by 2035. This basically puts a big damper on that plan and a big hurdle to jump through. Um, The SCOTUS decision will hinder Biden's ability to lay down large sweeping limitations on coal and gas use in energy production, which really hits hard. We have the EPA and, and generally feel like this agency are the good guys and are, are trying to help regulate the dirty industries, but they're really going to be fighting with a hand tied behind their back now, uh, which is just really scary thought. Uh, to to kind of summarize uh, everything, the House Energy and Commerce Committee Chairman Frank Pallone called the ruling an alarming display of hubris. No one is safer or freer for this decision. All the court has achieved today is putting Americans in the crosshair of dangerous air pollution and a growing climate crisis, which threatens us all, which I think sums it up in a scary way, but in a real way. Yeah. I mean, you know, the Supreme Court put out some scary stuff in the recent weeks and it's pretty upsetting to see. Like, I'm not going to lie. It's definitely very disheartening, but I feel like it just makes us at GCV more passionate and more inspired to just like keep working even harder for the goals that we're trying to achieve. Yeah, it was kind of like a lot of people, especially just speaking with our organization, you know, heard this terrible news and then but it was kind of like, okay, well, we're we're still going and we still have Mm -hmm. these things to do and still have events. So it's like, you know, it's there's other ways around this kind of stuff, hopefully. So just kind of trying to continue our, our fight in the best way we can. Yeah. Well, and meanwhile, there's been a lot of stuff like this going on at the state level as well as it pertains to clean energy, which is controlled by the Public Service Commission here in Georgia. And uh, we may have mentioned before, but there is a lawsuit going on right now against the Public Service Commission uh, challenging the commission's statewide elections and questioning whether the setup of these elections is even fair to black voters in Georgia. And so let me just explain this lawsuit a little bit. Georgia is divided into five different public service commission districts, but every Georgian can vote for a commissioner in any of the districts. So for example, just if you were to live in district two, it doesn't mean you only vote for the commissioner in district two, but you can vote for all five. So this election method is actually diluting the voting power of black voters because not only are these districts gerrymandered, so the majority of the state's people of color are living uh, in very condensed areas, um, and so their voices in these elections tend to get outweighed by other Georgians living around the state. And so this result is a chronic lack of representation on the commission, which has been nearly all white and all male since literally 1879. There have only been two black public service commissioners, and one of them is even serving right now. Wow. Uh, And so... Let me stop talking about this. We have Briante McCorkle, our executive director, is one of the plaintiffs in this lawsuit. Um, and so we got to talk to her to fill us in on all of the craziness happening over at the PSC and the updates on what's going on with this lawsuit. Hi, everyone. I'm Briante. 
McCorkle. I am the executive director at Georgia Conservation Voters. Um, but beyond that, I'm just an activist um, that's been organizing in Georgia for a really long time around climate and environmental justice issues. So I really think deeply about, you know, how we solve the climate crisis, how we address existing environmental injustice, and how that connects to racial and social justice. And so when we had the opportunity to uh, challenge the way the Public Service Commission races were elected, uh, I definitely took advantage of it because in, in working to try to get clean energy, you inevitably have to work with the Public Service Commission. They are uh, five elected members uh, of, a, of a body that makes decisions about Georgia power um, and basically what they're investing in and um, in terms of the types of energy that they wanna use and also uh, how much people pay for it, which is very much an, a racial justice, economic justice, social justice issue. So shortly after I like took over leadership at Georgia Conservation Voters, I was uh, approached by Brian Sells, who is a attorney um, here in, in the Atlanta area. He has a long history of working on civil rights, um, voting rights type cases. And, um, you know, he basically said, I think that the way the Public Service Commission election is conducted is a violation of the Voting Rights Act. Um, this wasn't the first time I had heard about the unjust structure of the Public Service Commission elections. They have always been very confusing to me, um, even as a young voter when I first was like, all right, let me, you know, start voting down ballot. And I, I definitely wanted to understand the different positions on, my, on the ballot. And I discovered that I could vote for not just the Public Service Commission that represented my district, but also the Public Service Commissioner that represented other districts. The thing about the Public Service Commission, it flies under the radar of most people is awareness, mm -hmm. right? What is a Public Service Commissioner? You don't get the big fancy news articles or, you know, news pieces or even all the advertising you see with federal candidates. So, um, you know, they were used to a very select group of like interests that would be involved in these um, processes. And so there really was no public accountability because the public doesn't really understand what they do. They don't come to these meetings, which are usually happening at 9 a.m. in the middle of work week. Um, and so, you know, it's really difficult for the right, the average person to just be involved. So yes, there's really not a lot of accountability. So if you don't know what this position is, you don't really know how it's impacting you. They kind of can do whatever. And, and even though they're on the ballot, you don't really have a sense of whether or not they're good or bad. You don't even know what they do. So you just leave, leave it blank. So if people aren't voting in this race, like there's no accountability. Um, and so we do a lot of work to make sure that people understand these things, what a public service commissioner is, that they can vote and they can vote for all of them and um, really helping them be involved in these processes. So the first one I talked about was the integrated resource plan, but the second one, the rate case is really where I think most of the equity issues come up um, more pronounced, not to say that there aren't equity issues and what choices of energy we make, right? Um, but during the rate case, they basically decide how they're going how they're going to 
charge customers for what energy they've selected during the IRP process. Um, and so what we've seen is that every time there's a rate case, Georgia Power is increasing rates and adding additional fees or increasing fees on people's bills. So this process happens every three years. So think about this. Every three years, Georgia Power is like, we need more money. And they're getting it by and large what they ask for. There's a little pushback from the commission. And I think that's really just a show. Um, I really don't think that 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 is like they probably already agreed on what the real number is, right? That's uh, there how... might be some behind the scenes negotiations, in there. <laughs> <laughs> right? If we just come out with you know this much and then you know come down a little bit, it looks like we did something, right? Um, so they just keep piling these costs on everyone's bills, and they're like, oh, it's the price of a cup of coffee, or blah blah blah. But it's it's not if you're raising bills you know, $15 a month here and another $15 a month there, and you're doubling a fee and tripling that fee, it really adds up to mm -hmm. really high power bills. The vast majority of their customer base are in urban areas. Now, if you look at demographics, where, who lives in these areas? This is where most of the African-American population in the state lives. This is where uh, lots of, uh, we see higher numbers of uh, Asian, American, Latin, Lat Latino communities, we have all kinds of diversity in these urban areas. Um, in the rural areas of Georgia are, are whiter and they don't necessarily pay a Georgia power bill. So how this comes in is that, you know, if it's a statewide election, there are a lot of people in Georgia who aren't seeing these increases on their power bill. They're like, oh, this is fine. The Public Service Commission's clearly doing a good job. I'm paying a reasonable rate for energy. My bill, my lights are on, you know, and that's the extent of what they think. Meanwhile, people who are paying Georgia Power bills are like, mm, uh, you know, this is high. Like, what did I leave a light on? What's what's going on? You know, mm -hmm. and people are literally just, you know, getting crushed because not only are our power bills going up, but bills everywhere, everything's going up, right? We're in record level inflation. And a lot of this is driven by, uh, you know, this huge dependence on fossil fuels, right? Mm -hmm. So this is why this matters. People in the urban areas who tend to vote democratic are basically saying, hey, I don't want these commissioners. They're trying to vote them out. And it, they, they keep voting them out. They're voting with like 90, especially black folks. If you just look at black voters, they're voting with like 90% cohesion against these Republican incumbents, right? And so there, it, it's kind of a little strange because it's a voting rights lawsuit. It's not about partisanship. This was actually a big part of what we were had to argue against in um, court because the Voting Rights Act, section two of the Voting Rights Act says that you know, you cannot discriminate um, voting uh, based on race. And, and, and in particular, what you can't do is dilute Black votes by creating at-large districts with a white majority to drown the Black folks out. District 3, because it's Metro Atlanta, has a, you know, mostly POC um, population, right? a huge African-American population in District 3. They consistently vote 
um, not just the African-American, but District 3 overall consistently attempts to vote out their District 3 commissioner. So for the longest, it's been represented by Commissioner Tim, uh, excuse me, Chuck Eaton. Chuck Eaton is Republican. He's also a white male. And he has been in that seat for, uh, you know, a decade plus. It's been, it's been a long time. Every time he's on the ballot, he loses in District 3. But somehow he's the District 3 representative. Why? Because the white voters who are happier with uh, their power bills are like, he's doing a good job. And they outnumber this group of people in District 3 who are really unhappy with him on a statewide, in a statewide race. So what we see is a, is a white rural um, conservative uh, voting block outnumbering this uh, Democratic, uh, Black, mostly POC, more progressive voting block mm-hmm. on a statewide voting scale. So what we're trying to do is get a fair election structure that ensures that there's adequate representation on the Public Service Commission. And so I already explained that we don't have adequate representation. The group of people that are most impacted can't vote out the incumbent commissioners because they're being drowned out by a majority, um, a white majority that um, is happy with their power bills. (laughs) And so the couple of remedies that could happen here in changing the election structure so that it's more fair and that it does provide adequate representation The judge could order that we go into district-based elections. So as I said, there's five districts, there are statewide elections. We could simply fix this by making them district-based elections. Yeah, It's the simplest thing. Mm. Um, You know, that way, if you live in district three, you vote for your district three commissioner and nobody else gets that vote. You get that vote. Mm. That's one potential remedy. Um, it's a little concerning because the state gerrymandered the Public Service Commission district maps, um, you know, to ensure they have a four to one, you know, uh, conservative to progressive majority, um, even if that does happen. So that's frustrating. And that's why redistricting redistricting matters. Um, But, you know, it still ensures at least one person if we, if the judge orders that remedy. Um, the other potential outcome is that he could say, well, we, why don't we just eliminate the districts and have statewide elections? Um, that's not necessarily the ideal outcome, but you know, it's, it's more or less what we currently have now, right? Uh, the districts are really just confusing everyone um, if there's no point to the districts. Um, and, and that's one of the things we talked about in court was, uh, you know, do you need these districts to make good energy decisions? And there was there was no clear answer. It was a mm-hmm. lot of obfuscation because the answer is no. Right. <laughs> you don't need these districts for anything. Um, uh, so so basically, that one one is to go to statewide, and what they could also do is switch to appointment. Um, you know. I think what's the challenge is the judge is not sure what his jurisdiction is in terms of ordering the state to change an election structure. There's a lot of uh, uh, discussion in court about whether or not the judge had jurisdiction to order that. Does it interfere with states' rights, which is really salient given everything happening with the Supreme Court and so much power being handed back down to the state. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it, the, the outcomes are, are, 
could be even beyond what I've just said, um, based, based on that question about jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. So I wish I could say that, you know, it's A or B and that we have a sunny answer or resolution to everything. Um, but, uh, the, the legal system always surprises me and Mm -hmm. how things are interpreted and how, what remedies that they feel like are appropriate, you know, civic engagement and, and, and social justice work is not always going to be easy and lighthearted and fun. We'll do our best to make it that way, but uh, sometimes it's heavy and, and heavy lifting is worth it, I think, for the future. Thank you so much to Briante, our incredible executive director. Not just saying that because she employs us, <laughs> but she actually is incredible. So amazing. Uh, you know, for taking the time to be on the podcast. Uh, we really appreciate it. We hope to have her back soon. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully with some good news after the lawsuit and everything. Um, but I I thought I would just kind of wrap up today with a little bit of a feel good story as, as most of this episode has been a bit of doom and gloom and a little. Yeah, I would love that. (laughs) A little timeline cleanse for your ears. Yeah. yeah, Um, yeah. This week, NASA released five incredible new all color photos from their new James Webb Space Telescope. These images have been floating around the internet for the last week, and they're so incredible. They're the highest resolution and most detailed photos NASA has ever released, and the internet and social media is kind of in an uproar about this. One of the photos depicts, you know, there's, there's I think, five photos, and one of them d- depicts a dying star. The star in the photo is very similar to the sun, which in five billion years will also die, I guess, trying to not be doom and gloom, but, you know, Five billion years is a while from now, so it's okay. Uh, In the photo, the star is pushing out its outer layers, including carbon and oxygen, which helps create other cosmic objects. A NASA spokesperson said that there's a life cycle of stars. This is the end of this star, but it's the beginning of other stars and planetary systems. So kind of cool to think that, you know, everything is made from stardust. So the end of this star exploding is the new beginning for something else. Um, And I just have to read the description of of the first photo in the series. It's a photo of the Carina Nebula. And it says, this landscape of mountains and valleys speckled with glittered stars is actually the edge of a nearby young star forming region called NGC 3324 in the Carina Nebula, captured in infrared light by the NASA's new James Webb Telescope. Um, And it's called the cosmic cliffs because there's, you know, it's a three-dimensional photo that kind of looks like craggy mountains on a moonlit evening is what the description says. And in reality, it's, it's the edge of a giant cavity within this, um, NGC 3324. And the, the peaks in the photos, the highest ones are about seven light years high which is kind of an unbelievable way of describing height. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. I want to know seven. how many light years high I am. Yeah, I don't know. Probably not, <laughs> not seven. Not seven. Definitely not seven. <laughs> um, another really cool image just kind of shows all these beautiful stars and galaxies and other intergalactic features. Um, but the interesting thing about that photo is if you're standing on the ground, you hold up a grain of sand at arm's length and look at the sky, that's the size of this image, but it's really, you know, light years wide. So it's just the, the, you know, relation between the size of us and the size of the image and the sky is just, yeah. Like it looks like it covers such a huge chunk of space, but it's tiny, tiny. 
in comparison to like the it's like unfathomable yeah. yeah so i'm just wondering where the aliens are in these photos well yeah they're definitely <laughs> in there i'm positive <laughs> you know we it are... makes me want to go to space i want to see it up close really maybe one day there'll maybe. be commercial space travel yeah maybe elon musk will take me or something. yeah <laughs> um but you know it just kind of does show how tiny we are in this vast universe but, you know, for more, I'm sure everyone has probably seen it on Instagram and stuff. But if you want to check out all the high detailed, vivid images, you can see them at nasa.gov slash web first images, web with two Bs. Um, so, yeah, that's yeah, that. that's awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for ending us on a positive note there, Miles. I really need to go take a closer look at those pictures because yeah, you should. They sound so cool. Mm hmm. Um, and thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in this week. And we'll be back soon with another episode for you of Greater Greener Georgia. Bye.